Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. I, um, as, as a recent immigrant to this country, um, please pray for us. We've got our green card lodged at the moment and in this time there's big delays and those kind of things. So we're believing for a bit of a, bit of a miracle there. But um, moved my, with my wife and four children, so it was a big, big family move. And, uh, but what, I, what I've learned since moving to America is I've learned something about Australia that may or may not be true of other countries, but here's what I've learned is Australians don't like paying for accommodation when they come and visit your city. It's like, I don't know, I don't know, they want to go to Disneyland so they don't want to spend money on a hotel or something, but people who I once met in Australia, maybe in a gas station or something, are somehow getting in contact with me, asking me, can they sleep on my couch when they come to California? So, um, you know, I'm a nice guy, so I always say yes, so if anyone's coming to California, just reach out to me, I've got a place for you, no worries. Um, And, you know, I find myself um, trying to explain to my wife who a person is that's sleeping at our house tonight. And she's like, how did you even meet this person? I've had to start making up stories on how I met them just to so she thinks that I know them well and they're good people, you know. Um, But I had a friend reach out to me and he's like, I'm coming coming through and, you know, I've got a whole day where, where we can just hang out and do some fun stuff. And he's like, I'll leave it with you, but I'll give, you know, he gave me the day. So now all of a sudden I'm his social, I've got to organise his social calendar as well. Um, he goes, I want to do something fun. So I'm like, okay. So, you know, my idea of fun is wake up, you know, on the crack of noon. Um, <laughs> you know, go to a cafe, have nice brunch, you know. We've got, uh, we've got bikes, we ride bikes, you know. It's very flat where I live in Newport Beach, so that's nice. Just cruise down to the from the breakfast spot or the brunch spot to the lunch spot and, you know, just... <laughs> You know, sip coffee throughout the afternoon and then, you know, find our way out to some, you know, ch- grab an Uber to some dinner restaurant. And, yeah, what a great, what a great day well spent, you know, like, hopefully seeing as though he's got free accommodation and a social planner, he's going to pick up the bill at all three places, but you just never know, you know. But, uh, you know, that's my idea of fun. And so I'm like to him, yeah, yeah, we'll just hang out down the beach and, you know, he's like, no, no, he goes, I want to do something fun, like something adventurous. So I'm like, oh, Okay. Like, I'm a bit on the edge. I'm a bit, you know, he, he, is there anyone here who's like a living on the edge kind of person? I mean, this guy is a living on the edge. There's one person who's a living on the edge kind of person. Okay, I see how it is. All right, okay. All right, safety first, church. Okay, nice. Um, but hopefully there's a few more people that like a little bit of adventure, you know. And so he's that kind of guy. So I'm exactly the opposite to that. I mean, you know, the adventurous as I get is ride a motorbike and, you know, that's about it. So we, um, I start Googling fun things to do in California. You know, I'm, I'm you know, thinking maybe some good stuff will come up. Good options for what comes up is, you know, go 10-pin bowling or play miniature golf or, you know, all these kind of boring things. And, and he's like, no, no, I want to do something adventurous. So I was like, okay, adventurous things to do in Orange County. <laughs> well, the first thing that came up was jet ski to Catalina. Now, I don't know if you know your geography, but Catalina is an island off the, off the coast of California, which is about 30 miles from Long Beach to Catalina. 
Now, I know this now, but I did not know this then. Um, I just thought, well, if they've got a tour of people jet skiing to this place, it must be pretty easy to do. So I signed us up thinking this is as adventurous as I'm going to get. Yeah, we get down there, we start talking, and the guy's like, oh, it's going to take, you know, it's going to take two and a half hours to get there. That's if you're full throttle all the way. Um, I'm, I'm starting to think to myself, what have I got myself into, you know? I had one goal going there, and that was that I would see some dolphins. And before we even got outside of the harbour to the place where you could go full throttle, I saw four dolphins. So I was like, yeah, I'm done. I'm going back. You know? <laughs> what a great day. What an adventurous day. Anyway, we get about 10 miles out, or no, we get about 10 minutes out, and uh, you know, we'd been flat full throttle for, the, for 10 minutes. My friend is like doing this and jumping over everyone's wake. I'm trying to dodge waves because I realize if I hit any kind, even a ripple, this whole jet ski goes airborne, and uh, every time it goes airborne, I do an involuntary squat. <laughs> now, I don't know if anybody here has ever done over 10,000 squats in a day, but... Uh, that's me. That's, the, that's my claim to fame. I mean, every single time you would hit, a, hit a, a bump, you're doing this squat. And by the time we got 10 minutes out, we stopped at this buoy. I looked down and there's blood, com- blood coming out of my knuckles here because I'm holding on so tight to the jet ski. I'm like, how far to go? Are we almost there? He's like, we've only just got started. What are you talking about? Anyway, so now becomes, you know, what for him is extreme fun and what for me is just trying to get through this, this ordeal, you know. So I'm holding on to the ski. I'm trying to work out what speed I go that gets the least air. Um, he's trying to work out how does he get the most air. He, you know, exactly polar opposites. We get to the middle of the ocean, like halfway between Catalina and Long Beach, and there's this massive pod of dolphins. I'm talking thousands of dolphins. As far as the eye can see, dolphins everywhere. We're, we're riding on the ski and there's like 15 on each side of my jet ski. And I'm kind of reaching down trying to touch them, but just not, you know, not really. It's been just in case one of them was a shark, you know, like... My friend decides, he, he decides that he's, he's going to... The, that's the ultimate time to jump into the ocean. I'm like, this guy is crazy. So he jumps in the ocean, all these dolphins are swimming up to him, kind of giving him a nudge, and he's running his hand down the side of him. And then he says to me, he says, the rules are one in, all in. I'm like, did I, did I sign rules? Like I knew I signed what I thought was a disclaimer, but I didn't realise that there was rules on it. Um, and he's like, yeah, yeah, one in, all in. And he swims over, grabs my leg and pulls me into the ocean with him. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to get a body this big back on a jet ski in the middle of the ocean on your own. But here is my challenge to you today. So, you know, it was all fun and I finally worked out how to get myself back on the ski. I thank God there was no video footage of that (laughs) ugly incident. Um, But as I got on the ski, I sat down and as I sat down, I saw this massive flash underneath me and the the guide was was next to me. And then this big bubble comes up underneath the the ski. So this massive whale had swum underneath us and, and blown this big kind of air bubble. And he looks at me and goes, I've never seen that before. Like, this is amazing. 
Anyway, you know, long story short, we get over to the other side. There was a whole bunch of other one in, all in, because once he realised that he could trick me that way, he got me doing all these things like cliff jumping and cave diving and all these kind of things. I mean, each time, I'm not worried about the cliff jump or the cave dive. All I'm thinking about is how am I going to get back on the ski? <laughs> I mean, that stuff's secondary. This is, this is the most important thing. Anyway, we get over to the other side. Two and a half hours later, I am exhausted. I mean, I don't know if you've ever, like, had a muscle go into spasm but I stood on the sand like this as I got off the ski and my leg muscles the quads in my in my that I thought were just hidden underneath the layers in there realized that they were actually there and they were in spasm I could not bend my knees because I didn't have the strength in my quads to straighten the back up so I'm walking up the beach like this I mean, that's all fun and games and it's all fun for you, but I've got to somehow get back to Long Beach. How does so I start um, researching how much is it going to cost me to get this thing on a boat and take him back to Long Beach and me on a ferry to go, you know. Anyway, I worked out that was too much money, so I braved it on the way back. Now, the way back was a different story because on the way over, it was apparently not choppy at all. But on the way back, the wind picked up, the waves picked up. We were, we were halfway back and one of my friends, uh, my friends said to me, oh, look, there's two sharks. <laughs> what do you do when you're in the middle of the ocean on a jet ski and you see two sharks? What do you do? You get out of there. Not my friend. You go take a closer look. And while you're going to take a closer look, you say one in, all in. Because you realise it's a fun little game that your friend is going to just play along with, you know. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I didn't want to, like, I don't want to seem like a girly, kind, I'm like a man's man type of thing, you know. I didn't want to seem soft, so I start skiing over towards the sharks. Next thing you know, they turn around and they start swimming towards me. I hit full throttle on the jet ski, spin the back end around. I take off in the exact opposite direction towards Long Beach. I don't look back for an hour. I mean, that's one way of getting me back to Long Beach. There was that one point where I saw this big, there was a big ocean liner turned in front of us and a big wave formed and I found myself launching. Most people, they would slow down and launch over the wave as it comes, but I caught a little jump before I got the wave and I actually went through the wave like a, like a torpedo, like a lean, mean torpe torpedo machine and... All I could think was, don't let go of the sharks, don't let go of the sharks, don't let go of the sharks. I held on, accelerated and launched the ski out the other side of the wave, you know. I'm looking around, did anybody see that? <laughs> like, did someone film that? I mean, you all thought it was funny when I was trying to get back on the ski, but did you film that? I mean, you know, um, I'm not really a living on the edge kind of guy. But my, my kind of way of thinking is stay away from the edge. And that's the title of my message today. You stay away from the edge. I hope this message has blessed you. I'll see you later. <laughs> Longest story ever. <laughs> but here's the thing, you know, I think that our, our problem is in, in life is that we, we live all the way to the edges and, and, and there's nothing left. We exhaust all resources. There's a scripture in Leviticus chapter 22, 23, verse 22. It says, when you harvest the crops of your land, don't harvest the grain along the edges of your field and don't pick up what the harvest has dropped. Leave it for the poor and the foreigners living among you. 
I am the Lord your God. When you harvest the crops of your field, he's talking to farmers, he says, when you harvest the crops of your field, don't harvest all the way to the edge. So let's just say, for example, this is our field. I think most times in, in, in life, especially in, the, in this modern age, is, is, is we, we don't leave anything on the edge as we harvest all the way to the edge there's, till there's nothing left. We find our, ourselves living in deficit. But, it, but this scripture is talking about us making sure that there's something left on the edges of our field and living in that way. I, I want to talk about three areas where I believe we need to stay away from the edge. The first one is we need to stay away from the edge when it comes to our time. I want to call this one a Martha mentality. You see, Martha was... Jesus had gone into Martha's house and Martha and Mary were sisters. And what happens in Luke chapter 10 is, is when Jesus was in the house... Martha was distracted, it says in verse 40, with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. So Martha is like so exhausted. She's expended everything she's got that she's forgotten that the, that the Lord is in her house. And she's not worried about how does she engage with the Lord other than to try and get her sister to be as busy as her. To disengage with God and be as busy as her. And he says, she says, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and he said, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. In other words, he's saying, like all this stuff you're worried about, I don't care about that. I don't care if there's food. I don't care if the house is clean. I don't care about all that kind of stuff. All I care about is this moment and engaging with you at this moment. See, what, what we do is, is, is we allow ourselves to get so busy that we use up everything that we have in our life and we leave nothing for that moment where he actually wants to engage with us. He actually wants to be a part of our life. There, there, it's, it's not this like job list where we tick in the morning, yes, I did my seven minutes with God, but he actually wants to be a part of your life. You know, so, so often we, we, we exhaust everything we've got and we, and we miss out on, on all these things that are on the outside, all these things that are on the edge. Things like helping someone in need. I mean, if I'm so busy, all right, I'm going to shorten that to helping the needy. Actually, I'm going to say helping needy. Can you guys all read my writing? Okay, good. It's pretty terrible, but I appreciate the. See, the thing is, we get so busy, we use up all our time. We have every moment diarized. We have every opportunity that God might want to use, and we fill it with stuff. We allow ourselves to get so busy, and we find ourselves rushing in order to be able to wait. Like we, we, we rush to the, to the doctor so that we can sit and wait in the waiting room. But, you know, we, we, we rush in traffic. I find myself driving in traffic. I've got... I've left plenty of time. I could drive at normal speed, not annoy anybody on the road, and I'd still be there with ample time, but I still find myself driving like an absolute maniac trying to get there early. And I get there early and I find myself waiting for half an hour for everybody else because it was so important that I found myself rushing and we miss out on these things that God wants to do in that time. 
See, what else is out here is being interruptible. How does God use us to impact people? He interrupts us. You, you can't schedule, okay, God, you can use me during the hours of 8 to 9 a.m. Um, I'm going to be available for you if you want to send anybody my way. Um, just make sure it's during those hours and I'll be available to make sure that I can tell them about the good news. It doesn't work like that. But if I create space, if I create space in my diary, if I create space in my day, then when God interrupts me with the greatest need, which is a human life, then all of a sudden I've got time to be able to invest into that person. When I was at Bible college, I, I lived with a guy who was, um, you know, he was one of these guys that was just, you know, up at 5am in the morning praying. And, uh, you know, he was loud. <laughs> and annoying. I had the room next door to him. So he would wake up in the morning at 5am and he'd pray and I'd be banging on the wall like, hey, God's not deaf, you know. <laughs> Bible says that he can hear your thoughts. <laughs> like, why don't you think, pray? Do you have to like just verbalise it? Why can't you just think, pray, you know? And I lived with another guy, totally different story. I don't know why I'm telling you this, but he used to live in our garage because, you know, we didn't want him in the house. And uh, so he, he was living in the garage and, you know, in our garages, there's, there's like this gap above the door. Do you call it a garage? Am I? Yeah, yeah, sorry. I'm like, what's going on here? And, uh, and, and there's a gap above the roller door, the, the door that rolls up, and, uh, and you, all the noise comes out. He used to wake up at 5 a.m. and pray in tongues at the top of his voice. I used to be out there trying to explain to the neighbours, no, we don't have like a crazy person in our garage. Please don't call the police. I've tried to get him to stop praying loudly, but for whatever reason, he thinks God's deaf. So anyway, back to the story. Um, so this guy, you know, he was on fire, 5am, 5am, 5am. You know, I used to every day try and stay up loud as I, late as I could, make as much noise late into the night to get even. Um, you know, I'd be fake praying in my room, midnight, you know. And, uh, you know, he, come, he, he just all of a sudden stops praying. So I'm like, yes, finally he's listening to me. But I realise not only has he stopped praying, he stops coming to Bible college, he's staying out late at night, like he's, something's changed, you know. And so I started praying for him and felt like one night I was praying for him, he wasn't home, and, and I felt like the Lord said to me, go, go get him. I'm like, I don't know where he is. And uh, so I, I, I got one of my housemates and I said, we've got to go get him, you know. And he's like, yeah, okay. So what we did was we started to go to all these places where couples go to park to look at the city lights, you know. You know what I'm saying? Um, what do you guys call that here? For, what is it? Flatland. Oh, there's no view. Well, you know. <laughs> this guy. I will punch you. <laughs> what I was trying to say was not to look at the lights, but to park and be in close fellowship with a person of the opposite sex. What do you call that? You know. Makeout spot, makeout spot. All right, all right. Okay. Well, just so you know, if you're in Australia, that's called parking, right? So if someone says, do you want to go parking? The answer is, I mean, no. Uh, <laughs> 
So we went to all these places where people would go parking, and I didn't know any of them. My friend knew all of them, um, coincidentally. And uh, we, would go, we were going to all these places trying to find our friend. Like, I'm walking up and, like, looking through windows, and, you know, because I didn't know who he was, and he didn't have a car, so, you know, I was just this random guy at a parking spot looking in windows for my friend because the Lord told me to. I'm not crazy. After we exhausted all 15 spots that this guy knew of, um, we, we were driving home and I, I thought, you know, I, I missed it. I missed what God, whatever I thought was God wasn't God. And I just felt for whatever reason, I felt to turn down a street that I, that I didn't know. But we turned down this street and we were driving along and turned down another street. And then um, I, I just felt like I should go into a certain house that I'd never been into. Um, you could say God told me to if you want or... You could say, like, I saw a few cars out the front and a light on, so maybe I thought that was the house, but whatever. Um, so I walk in, knock on the door. says, uh, oh, is such and such there? And this girl's, like, looking at me like, how did you know? She's like, yeah, I'll just, I'll just go get him. Anyway, he comes out and I uh, said, hey, man, this can go one of two ways. Either you can come quietly Or I'll take you kicking and screaming. This was back in the days where bullying was okay. Uh, he, he decided that, uh, that he was going to come quietly and uh, we got, got him in the car. We took him home and as we walk, he goes to go into his room and like, lock his door. And as he goes, I, I put my foot in the door, walked in behind him and had a little prayer meeting in his room, you know. He was telling us to get out. He, he'd found a few new words in the last couple of months that I didn't realise he even knew. Um, I remembered them from my past life. But uh, he, uh, he started to just tell us to get out and we just decided that we were going to follow his ritual. So we set our alarms for five o'clock each morning and went into his room and had a prayer meeting. Started to pray for him. God, raise him up. You've called him to be a man of God. You've got your hand on his life. Call, you've called him to minister the gospel to the world. Lord, you've, you know, he, this guy, he just, we just started to pray over his life. After about a week, he turns around and he goes, thanks, guys. Thanks so much. You know, that guy today pastors one of our biggest campuses in Hillsong Church. It, globally. I thank God that I, I made time in my day. And as I tell you this story, I feel completely convicted and ask myself the question that would I be able to do something like that today? Have I, have I made sure that I've got enough on the edge of my field when it comes to my time? The second area, which, which I think we should stay away from the edge of, of, is, of our field is when it comes to our finances. I want to call this one a poverty mentality. There's a story with the same couple, uh, same sis two sisters, Mary and Martha, in, um, in Matthew chapter 26, where Mary was, was breaking an alabaster flask of oil on Jesus. It was a very expensive, they say it was a year's worth of salary, worth of um, oil. And she broke it on Jesus and anointed his head. And, you know, she, she, she was just committed to just blessing and honoring him. And it says that the disciples were talking amongst themselves. And, you know, they, they weren't happy. They were saying that the, this money could have been taken and given to the poor. Well, you know, by, by the disciples, what, what, it, what actually was taking place was Judas, 
who we all know later on was stealing from the treasury. Judas was the one who was riling up the other disciples saying these things. And you know, here's the thing, Judas didn't really care about what was going to happen to the poor. What Judas cared about was how was he going to get some of that money into his own life. So that's what a poverty mentality is. A poverty mentality is looking at somebody else's field and working how you can make their field your field. See, we're also worried about, oh, if I only had that, if I only had what they had, if, they had, if I had that, was it? there's this saying here that the grass is greener on the other side. The problem is when we get to the other side where the grass is greener, we take all our bad habits, we take our old behaviours with us, and next thing you know, the grass is dead on that side. See, we're so worried about getting something that somebody else has, thinking that that's the answer to all our problems, rather than realising there's actually a field that we've been given, and if we can work out how to stay within that lane... God can actually use us. You know, one of the things, some of the things that I find on the edge of the field here is, is, is being a blessing to someone else. That's out here. See, tithing, that's in here. Being a tither when it comes to finances, that's not on the edge. God, God doesn't want your leftovers. You know, I remember when my kids are... As my kids are growing up, you'd order a kid's meal at a restaurant. I think my 17-year-old daughter still orders kid's meals, and I'm grateful for it. Um, But the kid's meals would always come out first, and and the kids would always have fries, and they would always look so nice, and I'd always want to take a couple, just a couple of my kids' fries. I call it dad tax. Um, But my kids would put up this extreme fight and say, Dad, no, you've got your meal coming, you know, and they'd go into like Fort Knox mode, you know, <laughs> locking up those fries. I'd be trying to peek through their fingers and sneak one out. You know, about 10 minutes later, my kids had eaten to their complete capacity and they've got 100 fries left and they're trying to say, Dad, do you want some fries? <laughs> I don't want your fries. I wanted them when they were hot. <laughs> I wanted them when they were going to cost you something to give away. I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what the tithe is. The tithe is... Making a decision that, that, that that's where that is, you know. Out here, though, is heart for the house. So we're, we're, we're in, that, in that season, in that period as a church, both in California and also you guys here. And do, do you think, I know for me and my wife, we're not, now's not the time to be spending, now's the time to be sacrificing to get to the point where we can bring something to the table that is, that is something that I, I can honour God with. It's, it's, for me, it's not about how do I work out how to get a loan from the loan shark and extend myself beyond the field. How do I put something on my credit card that I can't afford to put on my credit card and all of a sudden I'm operating outside my field. But I'm trying to work out, have I, for the last 12, 12 months, positioned myself in such a way that I'm able to do something from a position of strength? And, and for some people, that's a convicting thought. But, you know, there's no condemnation. This is not what this is about. This is, life is long. This might not happen for you next week, but it could happen for you next year. You know, some choices, some changes. When my wife and I first decided to significantly give to half of the house, we, we had nothing. We, we, we actually, the only thing connected at our house was the electricity. That was the only thing. I mean, water as well. Water and electricity. That's it. You know, we didn't have anything else connected to our house. We, we were living tight so that we could create space, so that we could sacrifice. That's not for everybody. That's what we felt to do. But now we're in a totally different position where, you know, we can do that and. 
and, and, and so we're able to live in that season. But, but, but the whole point is we've got to make room for generosity. And, 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 and the only way to do that is to break that poverty mentality. Poverty mentality wants to consume everything that comes its way. We get a pay rise. We don't have all of a sudden that amount more money saved a week. We just have a that ma- amount of money bigger car payment. You know what I'm saying? We get a pay rise, we get a bigger house. We get a pay rise, the kids go to a, big, a more expensive school. Whatever it takes, we, we, we consume everything that comes our way. I sometimes look back and go, man, when I was earning a quarter of what I'm earning now, I was saving more back then than I am now. And it's got to change. We've got to make a decision that we're not going to live with this poverty mentality. How about this? This is something else that's out here on the field, edge of the field. This is a novel idea. Buying something for cash. Imagine buying a car for cash. Imagine buying a house for cash. Imagine buying a block of units for cash. A triplex. Do you know what I'm saying? Like making room in your life. You know, um, getting ahead of it. Getting ahead of the game. Is this helping you? Cool. And the third area where I think we should stay away from the edge is we should stay away from the edge when it comes to our emotions. I want to call this one a victim mentality. You know, there's, uh, there's another story in, in the Bible about Mary and Martha. It's a story about when their brother Lazarus had, had died or was sick. And they sent for Jesus and they asked Jesus to come and pray for him, come to heal him. And, and Jesus didn't come for, for a few days. And after a few days, Jesus says, you know, we, we're going to go. We're going to go pray for Lazarus because he's asleep. This is in John chapter 11. And the disciples say to him, well, you know, we've got to be careful because last time you went that way, um, the Jews tried to kill you. So, you know, what... what why would we do that? Why are you going to put your life at risk? If he's just sick, he'll get better. And Jesus says, no, you don't understand. He's asleep. They're like, well, if he's asleep, he's going to wake up. And Jesus says, no, no, no. He's dead. And we're going to go and pray for him so that God would be glorified. So the disciples, they're with Jesus and they're starting to head out. But all of a sudden, Thomas, Thomas, known as the doubter, decides that he wants to be the victim in this scenario. And he says to Jesus, he says to his guys, come on, let's all go so that we can die with him. I mean, when you're going to raise someone from dead, is that the kind of voice you want in your ear? Like he's, Thomas is thinking, there's a guy that's already dead. So we're going to go over there and everybody's feeling for him and his family, but nobody cares about me. So I'm going to put some attention on me and now I'm going to be a victim. Then if you, as the story goes on, Jesus gets into the town. Martha comes out to Jesus, falls at his feet. She says, I want to be a victim here. She says, Lord, if you had, had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. While she was there, Mary was in the house. She didn't even bother coming out to meet Jesus. Same lady who put the, the anointing on his head. Then if you, if you read on further, Mary came out where Jesus was and she decided that she wanted her victimhood to be known to all. So she fell at his feet and said, Jesus, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Same story that her sister said. 
Then you go on and you read the story and Jesus says, where did you put him? And they said, come and see. And Jesus was crying. It says Jesus wept. Then the Jews decided that they wanted in on this whole victim thing. You know, they said, couldn't this man who opened the eyes of the blind also kept this man from dying? And then the Bible says Jesus was groaning to himself. He's thinking all these people are worried about themselves. They all want to be victims. They all want to be victims. I'm in the back room cooking up one of the greatest miracles of all time. And everybody around me wants the attention on them and wants the victimhood to be on them. I don't know what you're dealing with in your life. I don't know what you've been through in your life. And I'm not trying to take it lightly, but so often Jesus is in the back room cooking up a miracle, but we're too busy focusing on being victims that we forget that we serve a miracle working God who can turn situation and circumstance around. Jesus says, take away the stone. Martha says, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Stop, everybody stop. I'm not over being a victim yet. And I don't know, I'm not sure what's about to happen, but I'm trying to find an excuse why Jesus shouldn't raise my brother from the dead. So she clutches at the dumbest reason in life. <laughs> don't roll away the stone, don't open up the tomb, because it'll be a, it'll smell in there. He's been dead for four days and it'll smell. Can you imagine being Jesus at this moment in time? He's surrounded by people who are telling him, oh, we're going to die. Oh, if you had been here, it wouldn't have happened. They're blaming him. They're they're criticising him. He's now trying to perform a miracle. And the the best answer she can come up with is, oh, it's going to smell. You know, the end of the story is Jesus calls Lazarus out. He says, come on. Bible says that Lazarus came out hands in bandages, walked raised from the dead the whole time everybody else is trying to be victims I I get around people you know maybe we're having a a night where we're just hanging out and we're just talking to each other and we start playing this Christian game we call it one up one upping each other so what happens is the, the game isn't really a scripted game there's no board game or cards attached but what happens is somebody starts off by telling a story about something bad that happened to them. We all sit around and we listen to their story and we feel sorry for them. But then we engage in this game called One Up and we try and one up their story by telling a story that's a little bit worse than the story that they told about the bad stuff that's happened to us. And then all of a sudden, this game goes around the room and a few hours later, everybody's out there telling everybody all the bad stuff that's happened to them and why they are the biggest victim. You know, and we live in a society that for some reason wants to hold victims in their position of victimhood so that they've got something to rally around. You see, I understood that when I became a Christian, that old things have passed away and all things had become new. That... that You know, without going into detail, I, I, I usually win those one-up competitions because some pretty bad stuff happened to me when I was a kid. And if I was to tell you, every person in here would say, you know what? You had every right to be a victim. You, you got every reason 
to be dysfunctional and to be a victim, but I don't want to live as a victim. I don't want to live with a victim mentality. I, I, I believe that, you know, when I've got a struggle in my finances, that I serve a God whose name is Jehovah Jireh, who is my provider. You know, I believe that when I've got sickness, that I, I, I call out on Jehovah Rapha, the, the God who heals us. When I'm struggling with loneliness, I reach out to Jehovah Shema, the ever-present help in time of needs. When, when I'm struggling with anxiety, He's Jehovah Shalom, the God of our peace. When I'm feeling lost, He's Jehovah Ra, the, our shepherd. You know, so often we spend our whole time trying to justify where we're not where we should be rather than realising that if we just laid that aside, God will take us to where we could be. It's not about where we should be. It's not about, you know, what, what we thought, all these bad things that happened to us, but there's actually a future that God wants to walk you into. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you. I thank you for every person here today, Lord. Lord, giving you their day, giving you their morning, Lord, just sitting under your word, sitting in your worship, Lord, I pray. Lord, that we wouldn't live a life so bound up that we feel like we can't move or do anything. But Lord, you're called us to live a life where we can operate in freedom. Lord, freedom from anxiety, freedom from this victim mentality, freedom from this poverty mentality, freedom from this Martha or martyr mentality. But God, you've called every single one of us to live a life that's victorious for you. Just stay in an attitude of prayer, heads bowed and eyes closed. You know, I, I wonder where you stand when it comes to God. So I, I know some of you, I don't know all of you, but I know some of you. But I don't know all of you. And, and I wanted to ask you this question, where do you stand when it comes to God? Where do you stand when it comes to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, have, you, have you accepted Him into your life? Do you, do you know Him as your Lord and your Saviour? I don't know where you stand, but I know where He stands when it comes to you. See, the Bible says that He stands at the door of your heart and He knocks. So that whoever opens, it says, whoever opens, He'll come in, he'll come in and dine with you. In, in other words, He wants to be a part of your life. See, He's there knocking and He wants to be a part of your life. But so often we don't open the door and we don't let Him in. Well, friend, here's your opportunity. Here's your time. Here's your opportunity to say, God, I hear you knocking and I'm going to let you in. I want to lead some people in a prayer. It's a prayer of inviting Jesus Christ in as your Lord and your Saviour. It's a prayer of asking for forgiveness. It's a prayer of committing to repenting from those things. And, and, and to commit, it's a prayer just saying, God, I want to live to you, for you from this day on. If you're here today and you'd say, Darren, when you pray that prayer, I want to be included in that prayer just with every head bowed every eyes closed I'm going to count to three when I get to three just slip them up I'm not going to drag this out I'm not going to prolong it slip it up on three we'll pray for you and we'll move on with the service are you ready? say yes to Jesus one two three just slip them up cool awesome amen hands everywhere cool awesome amen fantastic so many why don't we all stand up we're going to pray together. You see, some of you are here and you didn't put your hand up. You didn't have the courage to put your hand up. I understand that. I went through a number of these moments in church life before I had the courage to. But here's the thing. The hand up is so that I know. But the prayer that we're about to pray, that's so that God knows. 
So even if you didn't lift your hand, but we're all going to pray this together. Pray, pray this from the bottom of your heart. And let's just give our lives over to the Lord. Are you ready? Repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I ask you to come into my life as my Lord and Saviour. I ask you to forgive me of everything I've done wrong. And I repent of those things. And I want to live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, can we give God a big, big praise?